Hello, and welcome to The Stockout, your show at FreightWaves about CPG companies, supply chains, and CPG companies, supply chains. I am your host, Mike Bowden-Distel of FreightWaves. I'm an analyst and market expert here. And today, uh, I'm going to be talking about Unilever, quite a lot about Unilever. Uh, they reported uh, earnings uh, yesterday uh, morning, you know, very early if you're in the, the U.S., um, and shares declined about 5%. So I'll talk through why and what that means for other uh, CPG companies. And of course, I'll get into uh, the topic of the hour in the CPG world, which is the Ben and Jerry's controversy. Who knew that those little pints of ice cream could stir up so much controversy? Um, but that's where we are uh, with Ben and Jerry's. And um, it's been pretty entertaining. Uh, that'll be a, just a fun topic to talk about. I don't think it's going to bring down Unilever, I think it's just been a sort of a big headache for uh, the management of that company. Um, and I don't think you need to go through your house and uh, throw out every bottle of uh, soap and uh, bottle of salad dressing. Um, you know, if you are a supporter of the state of uh, Israel, um, I'll, I'll explain uh, why I don't think it's part of a larger agenda by, by Unilever at, at all. So we'll have some fun with that. Um, then also talk a little bit about uh, Coca-Cola, which had a great uh, quarter, um, sort of as as I expected. It's just as people got out a little bit more um, is when Coca-Cola does tend to perform uh, better and, and, and people are getting out in, in their uh, largest uh, you know, sales markets. Also just hit on um, you know the freight topic of the hour, this Uber freight acquiring TransPlace. And also just wanted to highlight also some of the, the really good work that a lot of my colleagues have done that's posted up on the site have a long list of um, you know, reading material to go through. And, and I'll talk about some of the things that stand out to me and, and, and things you should check out on the site. So we'll do that today. Um, but first, um, I'd like to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor is, uh, is a new one this week. Our sponsor is NYSHEX, N-Y-S-H-E-X. That is the New York Shipping Exchange. And so they have a unique product that they explain on their uh, website, www.nyshex.com. Dot com. This is a product designed to improve supply chain reliability and ensure your cargo moves as planned with two-way committed contracts. If you've been reading FreightWaves.com and uh, Greg Miller's articles and Kim Link-Will's uh, articles, um, you know this is a, is a huge issue, uh, particularly in the past year. Uh, transportation contracts don't have a lot of teeth. You have a lot of uh, international shippers that have struggled to get uh, capacity on the vessels, some thought they were going to have capacity. It turned out they didn't. You know, some you know, shippers thought the rates were going to be one thing. It turned out they were another. So it's been a huge, huge headache uh, this year because capacity has been so tight on uh, the ocean. And this is a company that uh, has a product designed to address that for some of these big uh, international companies. So it, it, at, the, at the very least, it's, it's you know, addressing a, a problem that's, that's uh, in the marketplace that uh, you know, shippers are struggling with. One of the stats they have is that there's a 99% fulfillment of ocean contracts compared to 67% for not using the exchange. Actually, heard from a company here recently that said their fulfillment is actually worse than than that. So, I would encourage you to check out um, www.nyshex for the New York uh, Shipping Exchange. Um, if you know, particularly if you are a company that um, you know imports you know goods or uh, otherwise uh, ships goods. Our first topic here is uh, you know Unilever. Uh, their shares declined five percent uh, yesterday's uh, you know trading, and uh, you know really so the reason for that is is they reported earnings and um, you know it seemed like those earnings were a little bit disappointing. Of course, a lot of the issues that they talked about 
you know, we, we, we had known about, um, I just think they were maybe a little bit more intense and maybe have escalated a little bit more uh, than people were expecting. Uh, really, the main issue that Unilever has is with um, with inflation. Um, you know, they they you know, said their inflation uh, you know increased from sort of low to to, to mid teens level in the first quarter, up to the high teens in the second quarter. And th- now, those were market rates of inflation. Uh, Unilever does uh, you know purchase better than most of its counterparts because they do have so much scale. They also have a lot of uh, you know levers they can pull in terms of improving supply chains and pricing. Uh, which I'll talk about in in a minute here, but you know their guidance they, they 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 cut it. They basically said that they now expect the operating margin to be about flat with last year, um, whereas previously they had said well the operating margin would be a little bit better. Um, you know maybe as as, as some of their pricing you know it, uh, take hold and, and they don't have to have as, as much sort of contract manufacturing and some of these extra costs associated with uh, you know with COVID. So now it looks like their margin is going to be about flat. Um, and, uh, you know, just, they also highlight there's going to be a larger degree of, uh, potential outcomes, which, uh, when I think, uh, Wall Street analysts hear that they think, well, is this guidance cut just the first in a series? And my experience following stocks is, you know, they really do well when company, um, you know, increases, you know, uh, earnings and, and guidance, uh, you know, number of times in a row and the stocks underperform when they cut guidance you know, a number of times in, in, in a row. So I think some analysts interpreted that, uh, you know, negatively. Um, and it is a little bit unusual to see uh, shares of a company like Unilever, you know, sort of so, so so blue chip, you know, one that's really not terribly cyclical. I would say a lot less cyclical than um, the, the the GDP and, 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 other, uh, and other companies because of their diversification and really because they make products for the most part that people need, you know, to buy. Um, but to see that down 5%, I think is, is, is pretty significant. And it really sort of speaks to, the inflationary pressures that uh, the big CPG companies are facing. It's not unique to Unilever at all. Um, I just think we're, maybe we're seeing this uh, more acutely now because this is one of the first companies that's reported their second quarter earnings. There's more to come in the next, uh, in the next few weeks. But um, to address this, Unilever's you know, raising prices. Um, they said their prices were 1.6% higher in the first quarter, going to be 2.2% higher in the second quarter. And they say that those price increases are going to escalate um, you know, as the year progresses, you know, of course, that's also true with their with their costs. So both of those things are are, are, are rising, um, and of course, with uh, you know, a company like you know Unilever, a big CPG company, when their costs are increasing, there's a time lag between when their prices rise and when they can pass those costs on to consumers. And one of the interesting things is they said it's it, they can raise their prices in closer to to real time in some of the emerging markets like. Brazil and Argentina, those agreements tend to be on shorter duration, so they can increase their prices there pretty fast. In Europe, there tend to be longer term, you know, agreements, so there's a little bit more of a of a lag there. Of course, that's going to be you know one of their um their, their main you know, markets and you know their home market is 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 Europe. They said the U.S. is something in between that, where it's not quite as 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 uh, soon when they can raise prices to, to compensate for costs. In um, you know, as the emerging markets, but it's it's not quite as long of a contract wait as it, as as in Europe. Um, in the U.S., also there's a lot of concentration with uh, the big retail chains, which is not true of you know every place around the world. Um, I think the maybe the good news from the quarter is uh, the company um, is still expecting you know pretty good uh, you know revenue growth. Uh, Unilever targets three to five percent annual revenue growth. 
um, you know, each year. And they said they'd be well within that range, which I sort of interpret to mean it's going to be 5% plus the last couple of quarters. It's been sort of five to five and a half percent sort of in that, in that range. So there's no real evidence that, um, you know, consumers are going away from their products. I mean, the last quarter, their, their volume was up 4%. So they're still, you know, you know, buying those products, haven't seen a lot of, you know, trading down, maybe with the exception of some emerging markets like Indonesia that are a little bit more price sensitive, um, c- countries with a little bit lower you know, per capita uh, income. Um, and then the company also gave some good uh, uh, comments that were they thought were very helpful on, on costs. And they called out a number of uh, cost items that are rising very quickly, specifically like palm oil, they said was 70% above their long-term averaging and increased 20% from the first quarter to the second quarter. There are a laundry list of things. You can check it out on their investor relations site. But two, I want to you know, highlight specifically here are packaging, which they said rose about 7% just from the first quarter to the second quarter. Um, so packaging has, has been an issue that we've heard continually um, from CPG companies, their costs are rising there. And then uh, the area that's near and dear to all of our hearts here at Freight Waves is freight costs. And I have a chart on, on, on freight costs. Um, you know, uh, It's on our chart that maybe the production team can can, can, can put up there. But basically what Unilever said is that their freight costs rose 4% uh, from the first quarter to the second quarter. And, um, you know, compared that to the, the, the sonar data that, you know, is available to us. And, um, you know, I thought the, the most, maybe the most relevant, you know, points, you know, there it is on the screen. So this is uh, from a, a company that, um, you know, processes payments um, in, in the domestic transportation uh, um, landscape. And this is showing the, the rate per mile in the first quarter. That, that bar on the left is, is the first quarter. That bar on the right is the second quarter. And you see it went from $2.35 to, to $2.49. And um, so, the, so that's about a 6% you know, increase in, 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 in rates. And should also mention those rates do not include fuel surcharge. And fuel has been on a tear as well. So the, the actual price that the customer is paying rising higher than 6%. And, and so I think that's a good way to, to sort of benchmark if you are a shipper to say, you know, look at sonar data in, in, in that manner and say, am I doing better or worse than the market? And, uh, you know, in this case, Unilever, I think is doing better than the market when their freight rates rise 4%. Of course, this uh, chart um, is showing dry van rates, not all of what uh, uh, Unilever moves is in dry van, some of it is in reefer, some of it is in intermodal containers. Um, but I, I think that's a sort of a good use case for, for sonar data is to, to benchmark your, 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 your freight rates. Uh, so uh, all things considered, uh, you know, I think Unilever um, is struggling with some uh, macro uh, economic conditions with, with the inflation. I think that's also true of a lot of other companies. So um, I think we'll, you know, it'll, it'll be a part of a theme as most of the other uh, CPG companies report here um, in the second quarter. Uh, moving on to topic two. Uh, ben and Jerry's takes on Middle East politics. I think you've probably seen at least something about this. Um, you know, Ben and Jerry's removed its ice cream from territories that it believes that Israel should not have control over. Uh, those are basically East Jerusalem and the West Bank that uh, Palestine has claimed, but is controlled by Israel. And it seemed like this was a move by you know Ben and Jerry's in response to. Um, you know, certain tweeting and, you know, fans, you know, sort of pressuring them and, and saying, hey, you know, you're this, you know, socially responsible, you know, organization, um, you know, why don't you do something about this? And, uh, you know, Ben and Jerry's has a long history of promoting uh, 
causes, social causes that it feels strongly about. We saw this a couple of years ago with, um, I think it might've been last year with, with, with the, the UK and you know, taking a stance against the UK Home Secretary about migrants coming in from the Middle East and Africa. We've seen them make statements about uh, Black Lives Matter. We've seen them make statements about the environment. I think a lot of those things were not as controversial as the situation in the Middle East, um, which is why this has stirred up um, you know, so, so many emotions, I think. Um, and, you know, one thing I think people miss is that um, they sort of take this out on Unilever. I mean, of course, Unilever owns uh, Ben & Jerry's. It was a, acquired in a 2000, so 21 years ago. And, um, you know, part of the agreement, between, you know, when, when Unilever acquired you know, Ben & Jerry's was that Ben & Jerry's would have an independent board and they would have a certain amount of discretion to, you know, continue to promote the social issues that it feels are important. And so I um, believe that was just part of the agreement that, um, you know, Unilever and Ben & Jerry's have in place that, um, you know, Ben & Jerry's wouldn't have to, you know, basically do whatever Unilever says when it comes to messaging or not messaging on certain issues. So the way that I view this, this issue, for, if you're thinking about this from Unilever's perspective, is we have an agreement. We're going to honor that agreement. And, you know, that should, should sort of be that. I think, you know, when um, you know, consumers start to take, you know, that, 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 that do support, um, you know, the Jewish state, you know, take this out on all things Unilever, um, going to, you know, never going to buy a Unilever product again. You know, I'm sort of like, good luck with that. That means you're you know, going to have to change your shampoo, your um, detergent, your, um, you know, soap, your uh, salad dressing, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. And um, I thought there were pretty illuminating comments uh, when Unilever's uh, management team was asked about this um, in its analyst call yesterday. And it, it, you know, I get the impression that Unilever's management team would really have preferred that Ben and Jerry's not take this stance. And um, they basically sort of just reiterated that, you know, supportive of Israel, that they've actually made a lot of investments there. And they sort of you know, rattled off, OK, we have you know, a certain number of employees there. They're not going anywhere. We have some big you know, facilities there. Those aren't going anywhere. I think they, they talked about a new facility that they added um, and that they've actually been expanding um, you know, in Israel and um, you know, sort of just reiterated their, their, their commitment to, to, to Israel. And um, it is kind of amazing, though, um, that this gets to be as, as big of a situation as it is. I, mean, I, I just saw that there was a, a call in the last couple of days between the Israeli prime minister and Ben and Jerry's. And I can read this quote. I think it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, Prime Minister said, quote, made it clear that his views um, with utmost, he views this with utmost gravity and the decision by Ben and Jerry's to boycott Israel and that is a subsidiary of Unilever has clearly taken an anti-Israel step. And he claimed there would be, you know, quote, severe consequences, which um, I think we're sort of making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, we are talking about little, you know, little pints of expensive ice cream, um, I don't think it's part of a bigger plan by Unilever. I think Unilever's management would have preferred that Ben and Jerry's not take this action. And, um, you know, I don't think Unilever is going to pull out uh, any products that I think people really need for their own uh, personal um, personal hygiene. I don't think that's going to happen at all. And um, I guess the, the final thing I'd say on this is is what's, what's interesting is from a finance perspective, um, you know, there's a lot of funds that may have to divest their ownership in Unilever shares, those that are, are um, you know, funds that are owned by, by various state governments. And so what happens is, um, 
you know, 30 of the 50 states in the U.S. have a uh, you know, pension plan basically for their state employees that has a mandate which says that they can't own anything that um, of a company that has an anti-Israel stance. And so um, there are going to be some state pension funds. Um, another one I've, I've dealt with in the past was the uh, state of uh, New Jersey in, in, in Trenton. They were a customer of my last uh, company. And um, you know they, they did invest in a lot of um, sort of blue chip stocks. I'd imagine that this would be the type of uh, company that they would invest in. Does tend to be more, sta- more stable than most. I think you can put um, you know retirement funds you know in shares of Unilever and uh, feel pretty comfortable. Um, but uh, you know some of these funds may have to, to sell out of of those, which could further hit uh, shares. So you know all things considered, I think. Uh, you know, this was a big uh, headache that I'm sure Unilever's uh, management team would have rather not had this week. They have enough uh, going on with uh, dealing with the, the rampant uh, inflation. Uh, topic number three, uh, lots of good articles on FreightWaves.com uh, right now if you go to the site. And I just want to highlight a few of these things. Um, you know, there's a good article on uh, the Uber ac- acquisition of uh, TransPlace. And I'm not just saying that because I was one of the people who participated in that article. Um, we did, an, again, uh, FreightWaves Hot Takes where we just sort of, um, you know, a number of us you know, just gave our initial thoughts on, you know, Uber um, acquisition of TransPlace, you know, having followed the industry and followed those companies, maybe w- without having, um, you know, perfect visibility. And I think, uh, you know, the, the word that kept coming up a number of times was this is a game changer. And I, you know, I use that in, 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 in my quote where you have, you know, Unilever that has this um, really superior customer facing technology that's very easy to use. And then you have TransPlace which has you know, deep relationships on a, of a contractual nature, um, you know, with you know, members of the transportation, you know, various parts of the transportation industry, you know, big shippers, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, most people have viewed those as being you know, very synergistic, which I think you would have to, you know, view it that way to justify the 22 times EBITDA multiple that was paid for, you know, TransPlace. So, you know, congratulations to the owners of TransPlace, including the, the private equity owner, they did really well and, and, and um, they had an exit point right at the sort of the five-year mark, which is really when most of the private equity firms are, are, are targeting. Um, but this really sort of makes uh, Uber um, you know, all of a sudden you know, right at um, you know, the, the top of the food chain in terms of uh, you know, brokers. So I think it's going to allow them to compete with the very largest brokers in the United States now that they um, you know, have uh, the, the, the scale you know, to, to, to do that. I think um, our CEO, Craig Fuller, said, watch out, uh, CH Robinson. Um, you know, this, this company is really taking it, taking it seriously. And, and, and really before this deal, you might have questioned uh, Uber's commitment to uh, Uber Freight because it was losing a lot of money. I mean, it was growing quickly, um, but it wasn't really a large part of the overall company's revenue. I just looked at their um, 10K and it was about 9% of revenue and losing over 200 um, you know, million in, uh, in EBITDA, I believe, um, if, if memory serves. Um, so, um, you know, was losing a lot of uh, money there. Um, so, uh, but but I think this, this sort of changes everything. You know, a couple other articles that I would, um, you know, bring up is uh, you know Joanna Marsh, uh, who follows the rail industry. Uh, you know, has a good a good article on uh, Union Pacific talking about how the intermodal congestion could last through 20 through the end of the year. Um, so that's not great news for CPG companies that utilize uh, rail intermodal. That includes uh, the CPG company Unilever that we were just talking about. Um, Grace Sharkey has a good article up on uh, some of the unique challenges associated with drayage. Of course, drayage is, is dealing with all manner of congestion at some of the major you know, cities like um, you know, Chicago, 
which is, is very congested on some of those um, you know, intermodal terminals. Um, and so that provides you know, unique challenges for you know, the draymen that, that take the containers from you know, the, the, the terminal to their location back again also has implications for CPG companies. And then Eric uh, Kulish has a good article up on the situation in Vietnam and Malaysia. Uh, the COVID outbreak there looks like it's pretty disruptive. Um, and so if you're a CPG company that uh, manufactures any goods you know, in those areas, I know, you know Nike is concerned that there's going to be a, a Nike shoe shortage and, and people are going to buy uh, competing products because um, you know, they manufacture their, their shoes in that area um, in sort of Southeast uh, Asia. Um, so there's so some good articles there. I, I would encourage you to, to go to the site and uh, read. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. And then topic number four I can hit uh, pretty quickly is Coca-Cola, which is another big CPG company that reported uh, earnings. Um, I think it was yesterday they reported and um, you know, they had a nice quarter. And this was one that, you know, at least I was expecting them to do pretty well. Um, you know, maybe not this well, just as people, you know, got out and about more. I mean, one of the main things with Coca-Cola is that they really enjoy a much greater market share in um, outside of the home consumption versus inside of the home. You go to a grocery store, there's lots of choices there in terms of beverages, but a lot of times you go out to eat and they only carry Coke products. And that's sort of the, the theme where they really didn't do great during the, the lockdown. Um, but you know, when people are out at restaurants, uh, they do a lot better. And um, you know, Coke is about as international of a company as it gets, um, but their sort of big markets are US, Europe, China, those places for the most part vaccinated or pretty far along in terms of getting back to normal. Um, and, and, and so things are doing pretty well there. Um, their earnings per share and organic growth, they're now expecting revenue growth in the 12 to 14% range and earnings per share growth in the 13 to 15% range. Of course, those are, are against easy comps, but uh, Coke's revenue um, in the quarter exceeded 2019 levels, which I think is pretty impressive. And I think uh, speaks to the company's efforts to have um, you know, products, uh, you know, that, that are outside of the traditional, you know, Coca-Cola and Diet Coke, things like the Topo Chico, they seem to be promoting that pretty heavily. And that seems to be gaining a lot of, of traction. Um, it seems to be picked up at least a lot here in Texas at, at various, uh, you know, Mexican, you know, restaurants and, and Tex-Mex restaurants and those things. Um, so, you know, they seem to be doing, you know, well when, when, when people are, are out and about. Um, and, uh, you know, Coke did not have the, you can sort of compare Coke to Pepsi. You know, Pepsi did a lot better during the, the, the pandemic because they had all of these snacking products and, and customers really took to snacking um, out of, you know, boredom or just being at home during the pandemic. Um, not clear that snacking is going to continue. I think we'll see next week when uh, Mondelez reports. Mondelez is the big, you know, CPG company that owns, you know, Oreos among, you know, many other, uh, you know, types of of snack products, um, but you know, Coke seems to be doing better as people get out. Um, so that's really um, sort of the main topics I wanted to, to touch on today. Um, you know, next week uh, I'll be back to discuss um, you know, some of the other CPG companies that are scheduled to report, uh, such as uh, Procter and Gamble. Um, so we'll see if they had um, similar experience to, to Unilever. Would sort of put those in the same sort of category? You know, multinational. Um, you know, uh, uh, personal care uh, items, primarily um, AB InBev, you know, the, the biggest brewer in the world, owns Budweiser, et cetera. Um, we'll see how they are, are, are faring um, with uh, beer, losing share to other types of alcoholic beverages. Um, you know, Dannon, you know, the big yogurt maker, is reporting next week, and then Mondelez, big snack maker. So there should be plenty to talk about, and we'll try to keep you updated on 
any of the sort of fun developments that are happening in CPG world, whether that's Oatly that I talked about last week or the situation with um, Ben and Jerry's. Um, but uh, in the interim, um, feel free to sign up for the Stockout newsletter if you haven't already. You can uh, find that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. Feel free to reach out to me at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com if you have uh, comments or topics you'd like me to, to cover. Um, and hope everyone enjoys uh, watching the Olympics uh, this weekend. Um, I guess the opening ceremony was this morning. Um, in this morning, our time uh, overseas and uh, be televised tonight. So hope everyone enjoys that and hope everyone has a great weekend.